Uh, we'll get we'll get started here in Ephesians. So um, last week, uh, Daddy gave you an overview, and uh, today we will get started in chapter one of Ephesians. And as as he alluded to, it's very rich um, in uh, theology, and it's very rich in practicality as well. I heard one pastor say that ninety percent of his counseling he could do just out of the book of Ephesians. As far as the normal day-to-day counseling, uh, that was uh, just useful uh, to him uh, to to do it right out of Ephesians. Hopefully we'll get through at least a couple verses today. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read part of verse 3, or verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. One of the themes that you'll see as we go through Ephesians is this concept of what are our spiritual blessings? Today we're going to talk about several of our blessings, especially the blessing of grace, and hopefully it will be useful, but that will be a theme as we go through the book, Uh, what are our spiritual blessings. Also, twice in those three verses, you saw the phrase, in Christ Jesus. Quite a bit of time is going to be spent in chapter one, especially looking at this concept of in Christ, and I will talk about that a little bit today as well. So let's start, Paul, comma. Most all of the manuscripts that have been collected as far as the book of of Ephesians list Paul as the author. And up until a few hundred years ago, that was just taken at face value. Well, of course, sometimes we get maybe too smart for our own britches, as, as some would say, and people start to look, does this really make sense that Paul wrote this, and should we evaluate this, and can we confirm that Paul wrote it? And there were several objections that were raised as to why some people thought maybe Paul did not write it. And one of them uh, is that apparently the style of the writing in the book of Ephesians is uh, different in, in uh, some significant ways from some of the other books that are well known uh, to his authorship, like Romans and, and Galatians. So there's a style thing there, but to me that doesn't carry a lot of weight, and I think most scholars have explained it saying, you know, you change your writing style to fit the purpose that you're writing. Right, So if I'm writing an email to Merritt about something, that's going to feel and sound a lot different than if I wrote a letter to one of my corporate colleagues at, at Carolinas. It's just not going to sound the same. It's not going to write the same. Uh, the punctuation is probably not going to be the same. Uh, that's just, you know, it's going to have a different tone. Uh, we've got this thing now where patients can email me Uh, securely about questions and I'll type back an answer and that's going to have a different flavor to it than like this week I had to write a rather formal letter to a patient suggesting that 
Perhaps another practice might be a better fit. Don't, don't have to do that very often, but sometimes you have to make those suggestions. Uh, it had a little bit different flavor to it, a little different vocabulary and so forth. And, and uh, vocabulary has been another reason that uh, people have said, well, maybe, maybe this wasn't Paul. And they've said, well, there are 50 words in this book that are not used in any of, other, of Paul's writings. We tend to use the same vocabulary. People say, well, maybe that's, maybe that's an issue. But again, I think that can be explained by the purpose of the letter. As was Galatians, as Daddy probably mentioned um, last week, uh, this was designed to be a letter uh, to the region of the churches in and around Ephesus. Most of the early manuscripts don't have that word, as he mentioned. So, objections aside, I think we can pretty much agree with the weight of all the people that are smarter than me that Paul did in fact write Ephesians. But if in some of your Bibles, if it references those little controversies, you know, it's perfectly uh, safe to entertain those things. It doesn't, you know, it shouldn't threaten uh, your security and, and, uh, and faith in the accuracy of Scripture. It's okay to deal with those uh, little bits here and there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. We've seen this before where Paul states up front, he is an apostle. There are only, what, 14 people who could claim to be apostles. The original 12, um, then Judas' replacement, Matthias, see the one that won the lottery there? And then Paul, who was called, and he claims his apostleship right up front, which establishes his authority to say what he's going to say and for them to take it as coming from God. We've seen in other places where he puts out even more credentials, but in this place he appeals to his apostleship of Christ Jesus and that you know, should be enough. And then he says, by the will of God. In other words, this was not his choosing. In fact, he was going down, as you know, a very different road, and God chose him. It was God's will that he come to this uh, new ministry, so to speak. He was picked, he was changed, and uh, it's, he's saying, you know, this is God's fault, so I'm just delivering the mail here. Uh, don't blame me. I'm doing what God told me to do, and it's up to you guys to take that because I have the authority to give you this word. To the saints... To the saints. We don't talk about saints a whole lot in Protestant churches, right? Saints are talked a lot, talked about a lot in, say, some of the Roman Catholic churches. So does anybody know what it takes to be a saint in Roman Catholic church? You may know some of the some of the details. Do you know what a, a saint is supposed to do for you? So to become a saint, you have to die. You can't be a saint if you're not dead. Uh, you have to somehow be credited at performing some sort of miracle after you're dead, which of all the miracles I've done, it's much easier, I should say, being alive to do them. Um, no, it's, 
you have to be dead. You have to do some miracles and take the credit for those. And then you go through the committee, and then you can be um, put up for canonization, where you can be claimed to be a saint. And, uh, of course, you hear in the news periodically that, you know, I think uh, one of the more recent popes is, is on the fast track to become a saint before long. And then these saints get uh, given, um, uh, I guess, uh, they have special affinity for certain groups, right? So there's, um, I don't know, uh, does anybody know what, I'm not, I didn't research this a whole lot, what saints are supposed to be in charge of certain things? It was it travel? Yeah, do you know who's in charge of travel? Uh, Michael. Michael, maybe. Say Michael, I know I know somebody's in charge of the police force. You know, there's you know different Christopher's in travel. Saint Christopher's travel. All right. Saint Saint Francis, what's his what's his animals? Okay. You know, you so you get the idea. It's it's kinda it's kinda cute. I know um, when Daddy had his jewelry store, he didn't mind at all selling you know, whatever medals they wanted, you know, that was cool. You know, if you're going to get a St. Christopher medal or St. Michael's medal, whatever, great. We've got them here for you. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, there was no endorsement there. It was just a transaction. So um, we don't think of ourselves as saints, do we? Do we think of ourselves as saints? And that's... We <laughs> should. So it, it's it's more than just it's more than just a a funny question. It is a funny question, but I read a book recently that asked a rather serious question that said, "Do you think of yourself more as a saved sinner or as a saint who sins? Do you think of yourself more of a saved sinner or as a saint who sins?" Sure. <laughs> a lot of us think we just have that feeling of a saved sinner, right? So it's like we're saying, you know, I know God loves me, and I know I'm, I'm saved, but as far as my whole connection, I may be feeling more like maybe a second cousin of the king rather than a child of the king, right? He doesn't mind having me around that much as long as I'm on my good behavior, right? We kind of have that. And maybe, you know, if I were reading my Bible more and if I were praying more and if I were doing more for him, then I might feel good enough to kind of maybe move up the ranks a little bit, maybe hang out a little closer to the throne. You know, we, we, we may not believe that up here, but we act that way, right? We act that way. We act not like saints, but Paul says to the saints and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So we come to Jesus by faith. That's what makes us a saint. And as crazy as it sounds, from that point forward, from the time of our salvation, God sees us as saints. Because, right, he sees, does he see our righteousness? No. No. What does he see? He, see? he sees the righteousness of Jesus. He loves us. He wants to have us around. He wants to have us close. There's not this constant tote board or clipboard that's chalking up all the nastiness that we do. He sees us with a 
eyes of God, seeing his son and the work that he did, he sees us as saints. But we don't really act that way. And that's going to kind of filter into this thing where we're heading, where we're going to talk a little bit about grace. And then again, this phrase, in Christ Jesus. In Christ is used 27 times just in this book. And if you count up the verses in the book, there are not that many verses in the book, there are not many, many words in the entire book, but 27 times Paul is talking about being in Christ. And this has to do with, well, I'll, I'll just read one commentator. It says, this describes the spiritual position of the believer. He is identified with Christ, he is in Christ, and therefore is able to draw on the wealth of Christ for his own daily living. We're in Christ. We're not like the other group of people that Paul referred to in Romans. We're not in Adam anymore. We're in a different family tree now. We're in Christ now. We're not in Buddha. We're not in Mohammed. We're not in Artemis of the Ephesians. We're in Christ. He's our king. That's our place of secure. And that's our true identity. You know, sometimes we, we have this feeling, well, you know, if people really knew me, they might not like me very much, right? If they really knew me. Well, the ironic thing is, I think there's a, one of the old Gaither songs says, the one who knows me best loves me most. God knows us all, but he sees us as in Christ. That's our position, and as we'll see is the later that we go in the chapter, these things are because we're in Christ. I'm not going to be good enough at outlining all the ramifications of that, the consequences of what it means to be in Christ. But we should start to see ourselves a little differently because of that. That's something that I think and I hope that I will grow to understand more as we go through this book, and, and I hope that we all will be able to see ourselves more truthfully because of our study here. All right, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. There was a common um, greeting back in letters of the day. It would, they would say greetings or peace to you and so forth. This grace to you and peace, which we did see in the first uh, part of Galatians, that same phrasing, really was uh, Paul's addition to that and there's a lot of meaning there, and I thought it was appropriate to spend a little time talking about grace. As we've said before, we're going verse by verse through the Bible, but every so often when we encounter a, a, a concept like this and, and grace starts to permeate these next verses and next chapters, I thought it was appropriate that we look at this concept of grace a little bit more Fully. 
Uh, we did this to a great degree, in fact, as we went through Galatians, right? Uh, the, it was, are you going to interact with God on the basis of grace, or are you going to interact with God on the basis of the law? Uh, but just because we've talked about it a good bit in Galatians doesn't mean that we shouldn't give it its full weight in Ephesians as well. So, uh, And I'm going to post these next verses on the, uh, on the website. Um, so I'm going to go kind of, kind of fast. But grace affects a lot of things, but it, um, it's especially important for actually living the Christian life. Uh, it's certainly part of our salvation, and there's many ramifications to it, but specifically in how we as Christians relate to it. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 9 talks about how God's grace compensates for our human weaknesses. Everybody have human weaknesses? Yes. It says three times, this is Paul talking about the uh, thorn in the flesh, remember that? Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of all my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest in me. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So there's something about God's grace, and I guess I've maybe skipped over. We know what the definition of grace is, right? It's God's pouring of his favor toward us that has no concept of a quid pro quo. There's no, there's no merit that we brought to the exchange. God says, I'm going to pour out my grace on you, so there. Deal with it. We receive God's grace. He pours out his grace on us for reasons that are tied up with the whole mystery of who he is. Uh, we, I, I should mention that it's so hard for us to disconnect from this earn it sort of philosophy, right? And, and we, we look at our Christian life through that lens so often that it, it colors us. It's like, how do we think of the story of Noah, right? Noah was a righteous man, and we say, okay, well, God looked down. Here's Noah. He's the only decent one around. I think I'll pick him and save him and his family, and we'll go from there, right? I mean, isn't that kind of the concept that we have? Noah was a good guy, um, so therefore you get to be on the ark because you're the only one that's being halfway good. That is not the way the Scripture tells the story. Scripture says, what? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's what made it so that the next verse, not the verse before, but the next verse can then say, Noah was the righteous man. The grace came first. It was the grace that made Noah righteous. We saw this with Abram. He wasn't doing anything. He was a pagan worship and pagan gods just like everybody else. God put his grace on Abram and said, you're going to be my guy and your people are going to be my people and we know all that story. We don't know why God picked us, but he did. Anyway, his unmerited favor toward us 
shows up in lots of different ways. And this way that Paul is talking about is that when we're weak in something, he can give us the grace to sustain us and to carry us through that. And there's this, again, it's, I can't explain it, but somehow when we reach for God's grace, he is ready to give us more of it. But yet even the ability to reach for his grace is somehow enabled by grace. Uh, but somehow in the mystery of us wanting to go with God in that endeavor, he comes in and reinforces that notion. And I, I'm not sure it's humanly explainable. Certainly I'm not doing a great job of it. But somehow God comes through for us and Weaker we are, as Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The weaker we are and the more that we see that weakness and he becomes our strength. It's just crazy. Hebrews 4.16 talks about that it's appropriate that we can pray for grace. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So if we're not feeling it, if we're not feeling the in Christ thing, if we're not feeling all that blessed with spiritual blessings, we can pray to get more grace. We can pray for that to become more real to us. And, and the scripture says that God will honor that. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that in some ways, the whole of the Christian experience can be summed up in grace. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Like Popeye, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I just realized, most audiences would not have any clue who Popeye was. Um, I haven't had spinach yesterday, maybe that's why. Sorry. Where was I? Here we go. First grace. But by the grace of God, I, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You know, even Paul isn't explaining this very well, if I must say. You know, he's saying, you know, grace of God made me what I am. And I was working hard, but in the wrong direction. But anything I'm doing, it's because God is with me. We relate to God on the basis of grace. I won't go through all these. I'll post the rest. But I'll add that we should also relate to each other on the basis of grace. Uh, Randy, that is quoted uh, a lot in this class, uh, wrote a small book called Grace, and he quotes uh, John. I'll read. Um, thought I gave myself the reference. Yeah, John 1, beginning in verse 14. This is John talking about Jesus, said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. 
For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth are the ways that we interact with each other. Uh, The problem is sometimes we have distortions of that. So when we maybe have wronged someone, we find it very helpful when they are gracious towards us, right? Oh, that's okay. I'm sure it was just a misunderstanding. You know, I get that. I know you're tired. You know, we, you know, it's the Asian culture. You know, we give grace. We let people save face a little bit sometimes. Okay, we're, we're being gracious to that person. Um, and that's what we want when, when we've hurt somebody else. When somebody's hurt us, we want our version of truth. Right? We want some justice. We want a little pain. We want some really sincere I'm sorry's, you know, and, and we'll be the judge of just how good those I'm sorry, right? Well, that's a distortion of Jesus' version of grace and truth. Um, Jesus' version of, of grace is, is to um, see us in the best possible light. And the truth is going to also see us in the best possible light. Um, recognizing, you know, the, the discrepancies, of course, but uh, there's going to... Another definition of grace is includes the desire and the power to do God's will. So... Sometimes we need help doing the right thing. We talked about that in a human basis. And God can help us through his grace to do the right thing. So, um, grace and truth. Um, I think God is more interested in our growth than our failures. Right? Do any of us really think that we're going to get it right from here on out? Right? Do you really think that God is such a human-esque God that his opinion of us is going to fluctuate based on what we've done lately? He's so much bigger than that. He's so much above all that. You know, he sees us, yes, truthfully for who we are, but he also sees us as who we are in Christ and continues to give us grace. Uh, I heard somebody say, and I may have said this before, that, you know, even Christians need Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, we, it's not a one and done thing. It's not we get saved and then we're done. God's grace is continuing to work on us and continuing to, to make us Christ-like while we're here on earth. It won't be finished until heaven, but he's still working with us and... He's still using us. Grace is really crazy. So, well, before I close, any any comments on grace? It's kind of it's kind of like let's talk about the entire Bible in twenty minutes because grace is throughout the whole Bible. 
Um, I guess what I would hope that we would all do this week is to maybe put those three phrases in the front of your mind. Saint, in Christ, grace. Just play with that, meditate on that. How am I approaching the throne to ask for more grace today? Can I acknowledge my own weaknesses, but yet acknowledge him as a source of the strength to overcome that? How can I boldly, because of my position in Christ, ask something of God? I think it's Matthew that said, you know, God is a good daddy. If you ask for one thing, he's not going to give you something evil. He wants to give good gifts to his children. He wants to give grace. How do we, how do we get the courage, so to speak, to ask God of something as if we really believe we're in Christ? This thing about boldly approaching the throne. How do we do that? Um, how does me receiving grace from God affect the grace that I'm going to give somebody else? How does that work? How is that working? Just kind of play with that. I can't, I can't apply something this big to your life. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would do what I can't. Uh, we are going to be talking about the Holy soon and the work that the Holy Spirit does because we're in Christ, uh, it's going to get rich. It may get more confusing before it gets clear. But just start to grapple with some of those things, um, specifically those three phrases. Uh, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the mysteries that are there. And, and um, Father, I, I feel like I may have just muddied the water rather than brought clarity, but I pray that Holy Spirit, you would sort this out in the coming days and, and soften our hearts to hear what you have to say. Help us live like your children who love you and feel comfortable to come and to sit in your lap as those kids in the gospel did with Jesus. Father, help us to boldly approach and to ask for the grace that we need every single day and to be gracious toward others, uh, reflecting uh, the humility with which we've received grace from you. Father, we thank you for all of this, and, and Father, we would ask that you give us this power and this grace uh, to be who you want us to be um, in Christ. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Yeah. And, and I and Art and Merritt would like to wish you the very best of Thanksgiving. We have got a lot to be grateful for, so as you celebrate with your family and friends, in the next week, just uh, thank him for what he's done for us. Have a great day.